know that we did have to fire Jeff from doing the announcements because he would never stop saying Cornerstone. Welcome, Cornerstone. <laughs> Just kidding. This morning, uh, Kyle and I, as we were talking throughout the week, we were so excited to get to the point where we could start worshiping and remembering our Savior this morning and taking communion, so we moved it to the beginning. Uh, I think it's hard for us to get excited throughout the week. I think some are better than others at preparing themselves for this time when we're all together and we can join together and worship our Savior. I know it's hard for me um, when I get caught up with work, kids, uh, wife, life. My wife's good, by the way. She's not here, uh, but don't tell her I was bashing her in this service. Uh, But you get caught up with everything in life, and it's hard for you to stop, focus on your Savior, Savior, remember what he's doing for you, what he's done for you, and be overwhelmed by his greatness. And this morning, that's what we want to do before we get started. I want you guys to turn to Luke. This is really cool. I'm going to show you. This is going to be a plug for a Bible. Um, I got, I've been asking for this for 10 years. It's a waterproof Bible, okay? Uh, I know it's a little weird, but I like to do devotions and prayer in the shower because that's the only time where kids aren't, like, coming after me. And I needed something that could go in there with me. Here we go. Waterproof Bible. You guys have to find it. It's really cool. Or if you like canoeing trips, things like that. Uh, Luke 23, starting verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Okay, jump down to chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the, woman, uh, the women took their spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, uh, while they were wondering about this suddenly two men in clothes, um, two men in clothes that gleaming like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. You know what I feel like? I feel like I forget that that happened throughout the week, that I forget that the power of the resurrection has taken place. And I don't live that way throughout day to day. I don't wake up and and say, oh yeah, my Savior went to the cross for me and then he was raised again on the third day and he defeated defeated sin for my sake, for our sake. I don't do that every day. So when I come to church on Sunday morning, I'm not really there. I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to get to that point. So for me this morning as I'm focusing on that and I want us to focus on that, we're going to have a time of four songs. As we're singing through, we're taking communion. We're going to do it a little differently. Don't rush yourselves. If you want to read the Bible, if you want to pray, if you want to stand and sing, if you want to raise your hands, uh, whatever you want to do here, I want you to focus on your Savior and what he's done for you. Because if we live with the power of that resurrection, if we know that knowledge and we believe that, 
How can we not come to church on Sunday morning giving high fives and hugging each other and being so excited to get up here and sing and praise our Savior? But we come like it's just something we do every Sunday, and we don't live with the power of that resurrection. We don't live with that excitement. We just sit in our seats, and we look somber sometimes, and we're trying to go through the motions until we get to lunch, right? And I know a lot of us look forward to lunch. I'm not going to mention who. Um, but I want us to come this morning and be excited about that. And I'm not trying to, like, will you to do that. I'm bringing up these words so it actually fills you this morning. And that when you stand and sing this morning, you're singing words that you believe to be true. And you're praising a Savior that you know did not just die. He died and then was risen. That we defeated, that he defeated for us sin and death. And now we have eternity to look forward to. So now when we take the bread and the, the juice, that that's not just something we do every Sunday. That's a symbol of something more powerful than anything else in our lives. So let's sing these songs. Let's praise our Savior. Let's pray to him. Let's read his words. But this morning together as a body of believers here, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Let's let these words ring out because we believe them to be true and we're so excited. We're so excited to be here this morning. Amen. He is risen. Well, thank you. That's great. You guys are on to it. You can have a seat. Isn't that awesome? What a thing that we can come here and worship Jesus. What a thing that he has done for us. And what a thing that he is not dead. The grave is empty. No other religion would even teach that. But our Jesus is risen, has conquered death and sin and hell, and he's, he's done it for us. What an opportunity we have to, to be able to come here and worship the risen Jesus. Amen? We, uh, we're excited uh, to continue. We're excited this, this series in Ephesians. We, we are glad you are here this morning. Uh, we would encourage you to keep coming, uh, to, to dig in on your own, to get into the book of Ephesians and see what, what God would have you learn through Paul's writings uh, to the church at Ephesus. Uh, so we're going to go there. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And as we do that, I, I just think it's important to recognize when, when we have Hollywood stars in our midst, all right, and we, we have some very famous people. So, uh, Adam, you got this clip here. Uh, and now to our special series. We'll get there. Right. Live show. The place where real folks like you or me can live like royals is here in Des Moines. You tell people that you're going to move uh, to Des Moines, they ask you why you want to live in Idaho, and then you just simply tell them that it's actually Des Moines is yes, in Iowa. So, um, yeah, but I took a job here. Yes, folks. Des Moines, Iowa. Newlyweds Tyler and Megan Riddle are attending a welcome there reception for new residents. Expats drawn here by the quiet allure See, of Midwestern wealth. That's, you know, most of the time people get big and Hollywood us, they, they quit showing up. But, you know, to grace us with their presence, that's a big deal. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. Moving all the way from Texas and representing us. I appreciate that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians Chapter 1, we're going to finish up the first chapter. It's only taken us four weeks to get through chapter 1, but we'll get through the book of Ephesians eventually. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, For this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What a passage we have this morning. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus here and reminding us of the greatness and the power of God. And much like those first few verses, verses 3 through 14, you remember two weeks ago when I was talking, that was one sentence, right? That was one sentence. 15 through 23 is also, it's just one sentence. I won't speed read it for you this time, but 15 through 23, one sentence, Paul again trying to describe the church at Ephesus, just how great our God is. Uh, his prayer for the church at Ephesus, that they would realize the hope that they have, that they would realize the riches of his glory and his grace, and that they would realize this inc- incomparable power that comes from him. This was his prayer for the church at Ephesus. And for us, we want to look at this as well, because th- this our heart should be the same as the heart of Paul. Paul is a follower of Jesus, devoted to Jesus, wanting to be like Jesus, pursuing Jesus. This was his heart. And we, as individuals, and we as a, a body here at Creekside, we, we want to have that same heart. So let's, let's dig in here. Uh, at the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says this, For this reason, for this reason, reason. We're going to jump in to Paul's prayer, but the first thing we want to notice is the reason that he's praying for the the, the church at Ephesus, for these believers, these Ephesians. This is the reason, for this reason. And for this reason is what we've talked about the last two weeks, right? About this, this, this blessing that God has given us through his son Jesus. And it's a reminder for us, if you've not been here with us the last two weeks, remind you that you have been blessed. See, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Fullness, all the blessings of God is is upon you. You are blessed because of the finished work of Jesus. So Paul reminding us, for this reason, you have been blessed. And as Nick reminded us last week, it's what we once were, right, Nick? What was your saying? We are the oncelers. All right, thank you. Once were's. We are the once were's. I get it eventually. Sorry. We are the once were's, right? We are reminded what we used to be, but now what we are in Christ. A new creation, a new being that we are blessed. We are blessed. We have been predestined to be adopted. We have been chosen 
before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We have been redeemed, right? Bought back by his blood, even as we sang about, as Paul talked about in the first part of Ephesians. We've been redeemed, and that price for redemption was Jesus and his blood. What, what a great thing that he has done. We also share in his inheritance. What a great thing that God has done that we get it. Not only are we forgiven, not only is our slate been wiped clean, but we as sons and daughters share in this great inheritance. And then as Nick pointed out last week, we are marked and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. This, this great blessing that God has given us through the finished work of Jesus. And Paul tells us, for this reason, for this reason, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's heard about the church at Ephesus. He's heard about their faith in, in Jesus and their love for each other. I would tell you this, if you want to define what a Christian, what a follower of Jesus is, I think this is a great verse to do it. I think this defines who we should be. If I am a follower of Jesus and I am pursuing God's word and pursuing a relationship with him, this is it. First of all, I have a trust in Jesus, right? That's where it begins, doesn't it? See, without that trust in Jesus, without that relationship with God through Jesus' finished work on the cross, that, that whole verse, first 14 verses is kind of pointless. Because if I don't know Jesus, I haven't been blessed already. I don't know every spiritual blessing because I don't have that relationship with God that, that only comes through Jesus. See, the, the first thing of, of being a follower of Jesus is, is knowing what he's done for us and putting our hope and our faith and our trust in that work, right? In that, that, that rugged cross, his finished work on the cross. That's where it begins, to trust in Jesus. And the second part of really defining what a Christian should look like, we should have a trust and a faith and a hope in Jesus, but we should have a love for each other, a love for people. This, this defines what a Christian should look like. I trust in Jesus, and I love people. The bottom line, isn't it? If you can get those two things, I think a lot of other things are going to fall into place for you. Trust in Jesus, love people. There are plenty of people out there that love people, right? That's not enough. There has to be a trust in Jesus and a love for people. We also know there are a lot of people out there that may trust and know Jesus, but they don't have a love for people. I think as we talk about prayer and the importance of prayer, we need to understand that, that God wants us to have a heart for other people. And we're going to get a glimpse of that as we look at Paul's prayer here. But this is, this is God's desire for us. This is what, what, what Jesus has called us to, to love God and love people, right? They're the two greatest commandments. Love God, love people. Mike, you got a bumper sticker, right? Love your neighbor, L-Y-N. Mike's, Mike's Twitter handle, you're all on Twitter, I know. Love your neighbor, right? All right, that, this is what God has called us to, to love other people. I, I think it's also why when, when we see Jesus tell us to, you know, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, why? It's not that people are necessarily going to all of a sudden love us, right? All of a sudden change how they feel about us. But what does it do when we begin to love those who don't like us and begin to pray for those people? What does it do? Doesn't it soften our hearts? 
Doesn't it begin to help us love people that maybe otherwise we wouldn't love? You know, Nick, Nick brought us there last week and, and talking about maybe some of the more unlovable people. What if they showed up here? You know, people not like us that are different than us. How important that we begin to pray and we begin to have a heart like Jesus, and that was Paul's heart as well, but a love for other people. It is so important as we as individuals and we as a church here at Creekside, and that's what we want. We want a love for other people. We, we first and foremost hope that you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, but also that you love people. Love people within these walls and love people on the outside. Begin to pray for those who aren't like us. Pray for the church as well. Pray for those that are in here, but pray for those outside the walls as well that we would have a love for those people, like Jesus has a love for those people, like Paul has a love for those people. Isn't that a great place to start? Wouldn't that be a great place to start? No? Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I love it. Paul's heart is what? Paul's heart is for other people. We get a glimpse here as a follower of Jesus what our heart should be like, what we should be like, and it's that love for other people. All right, Paul wrote this. We're reminded, I think, back when, when Andrew was talking. What, what Paul wrote this was he, when he was in prison, okay? And if you read Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon, these are called the prison epistles. Paul, in prison, while he's writing them, and if we know anything about the life of Paul, we understand that Paul didn't have, at least from a worldly standard, an easy life, did he? Paul has been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, man, he's been kicked around. People don't like the Apostle Paul. He is writing this in prison. And I don't know, at least if it was me, and I'm writing a letter to people, I might tell them, hey, you know what, you might pray I get out of prison, I'm tired of getting kicked around, beat all the time, you know, pray that I would be released, or pray whatever. That'd probably be my heart when I send a letter to a, to a church, to a group of believers. Paul, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, there is a prayer in there in every one of those books. You know, Ephesians 1, and Tim's going to speak in a few weeks from Ephesians 3, and you go to Philippians 1, Colossians 1, and in the book of Philemon, there's a prayer. But you know who he's praying for every single time? He's praying for other people. And I love that because we get a picture of the heart of Paul. We get a picture because Paul, a follower of Jesus, loving Jesus, of what the heart of Jesus is. Other people, right? Jesus, a servant, right? You go to Mark 10, 45, what's it say? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The very reason Jesus came was to be a servant. The one guy that if we ever should have fallen down and served and should have been worshipped as a king, he came to serve. John 13, we see him washing his disciples' feet, again, acting like a servant. And you read in Philippians chapter 2, and it says he emptied himself. He became nothing. And it tells us also that we should consider others better than ourselves, right? Consider others better than ourselves. The heart of Paul and the heart of what we should be as, as individual followers of Jesus and as a church here at Creekside is to have a heart for other people. 
And I think when, when our prayer life changes from, God, you know, here's my work situation, here's my health, here, here's, here's what I need, here's what I want. When our focus is off those things and turns to other people, God's going to do a work. God's going to begin to change me, and God will begin to change our lives here at Creekside. See, God's, what, what God wants from us is a heart for other people. In our prayer life, I want to challenge and encourage you that instead of your prayers being God work and, you know, my health and my finances, what if we began to pray for others? What if we, as a church, began to pray for other people in the church? What if we, as a church, began to pray for, for the people Nick was talking about last week, that God would begin to bring those people into the doors of the church? What, what if we, as a church, began to pray and have a heart for the lost, for people who don't know Jesus, have not understood all these blessings we have in the finished work of Christ. They'd be awesome if this became our heart. It was the heart of Jesus, and as Paul was a follower of Jesus, it was his heart. It's what he prayed would be the heart of the church. It's what Jesus wants the heart of the church to be. It's what we want for our lives, or at least we should want for our lives. I have not stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, right? He has not stopped praying for them. He, he is continually praying for them, remembering them in his prayers. Verse 17 says this, I keep asking that the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, who's he praying to? That's the question here. We start getting into Paul's prayer. We, we, we start to see what he is praying for. But I think, first of all, we need to understand who he's praying to. See, we live, in, and I think Paul back in his day lived in a world that's very spiritual. We live in a world today that is spiritual. And there are people that will pray, right? But who are they praying to? See, it's important to know the source of power, where the source of power comes. It's important to know also that prayer is the language of God. And if we are to commune with God and have a relationship with God, it happens through having a prayer life. To praying, as Paul says, without ceasing. To be in constant communication with God. Being in right relationship with Jesus allows us to pray to the Father. And we, as individuals, we need to have a prayer life. You need to be talking to God, because prayer is the language of God. And if we are in relationship with somebody, shouldn't we be talking with them, right? Married my wife well, 11, 11 years ago, something like that. Shouldn't know that. 11, best 11 years of my life, obviously. Right? But imagine, okay, we get married, but we never communicate. We never talk. We never talk about what's going on. Is that any kind of relationship? Isn't that, isn't that messed up, Right? having a relationship with God, we should be people who have an active prayer life. We are in communication because prayer is the language of God. So it's important to recognize who we are praying to. Here's what Paul says. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Who is he praying to? He's praying to the Father. See, we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That's what we see here in verse 17. We look and we see the Trinity. 
We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Spirit, all three. And when we pray, and as Paul has told us to pray, and if you go back to the Lord's Prayer, how does Jesus tell us to pray? To the Father. When we are praying, we are praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. So Paul's prayer is to the Father, but the only reason he can come to the Father is because of Jesus' work, right? Tim read it back in the the end of Luke there. Jesus on the cross, the work is finished, what happens? That veil, that curtain is torn in half. See, there was a day when only the high priest could go in and only he could be talking to God. But when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus died for you and for me on that cross, that veil was torn. And now, because of Jesus, through Jesus, I can go to the Father. Me, lowly Kyle, can go to a holy and a perfect God, and prayer, the language of God, can have a relationship with him, can speak to him, can talk to him because of the finished work of Jesus. Pray to the Father through the Son. The the veil was torn, curtain ripped in half because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus died on the cross. And now I have access, right? And Hebrews tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace. Boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. Pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. We see right there, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We have been given the Spirit, and the Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit convicts us of things that we should be doing in our life, and ultimately the Spirit points us to Jesus, right? It convicts us of sin, shows us where, where things need to change in our life, but ultimately the, the biggest uh, aspect of the Spirit is it points us to Jesus. The Spirit points us to Jesus, and Jesus always points us to the Father. And I love that. I love that. So we have been given the Spirit to convict us. We have been given the Spirit will show us where we have failed, and ultimately the Spirit is going to point us to Jesus. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. The next portion here, we now know who we pray to. second question would be, what we pray for? What do we pray for? See, I think all of us want to know direction in our life. We want God to speak to us. We want God to show us, you know, what he would have for our life. And I, I remember this, this clip. Here was a, a, a guy, individual, that was kind of looking for direction in his life. Adam, can you, can you throw that up there for us real quick? Okay, God, you want me to talk to you? Tell him back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. Please send me a sign. Oh, what's this Joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right. Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please. Reach into my life. I don't know if you've ever 
if you've ever been like that, but asking God for direction in your life, right? Asking God, God, show me a sign, and right there, caution, wrong way, go the other direction. Oh, show me a sign, God, I need a sign, right? Looking for a sign from God. I would tell you this, I think as we read, and like this, looking for direction or wanting to know God's will in your life and understanding what God would have you do with your life, I think it's right in front of us. I think as we read these prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3 and in Philippians 1 and Colossians 1 and the book of Philemon, if you want to know what the will of God is in your life, if you want to know the direction that God would have for you in your life, read Paul's prayers. Read Paul's prayers to the Ephesians, to, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, and then the book of Philemon. Read those prayers because God will show you his will for your life. God will show you what direction he has for your life. So many times we get caught up wanting to know, God, you know, what, what, where should I work? What should I do? Where should I live? When the reality is that God's will for our life is what Paul talks about in these prayers. You know, I, I think God is a whole lot less concerned with where I work as opposed to what I do where I'm at. If I'm going to share my faith where I'm at. If I'm going to learn who he is and then begin to live that out in my life. He's going to be a whole lot less concerned if I'm living in Canada or Iowa or Alaska, wherever you might be, than if I'm following him, if I'm pursuing him, if I'm living for him, if I'm telling others about him. And you read through those four prayers, five prayers, I think it's key. If you want to know how God wants you to live your life and what direction God has for your life, read those. Write them down. Study them. Understand them. Uh, understand those. This is what God has called us to. And listen, we're just going to go over Ephesians chapter 1. We could spend weeks on, on talking about all those prayers. But here's what Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He says this, remember who he's praying to, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And here's the reason, so that you may know him better. What does God want? What should our prayer for our, not only ourselves, but for other people be? That they would know God better, right? It, wouldn't that be a great prayer? That we would know Him better. Now, let me tell you what know means here, to know Him. Know does not mean that I study the Bible from front to cover, and, okay, now I know Him, right? Scripture is not the goal. The goal is what Scripture points us to. That's a relationship with Jesus, this is what he wants, is us to know him. If you read in Genesis, and it's talking about Adam and Eve, it said Adam lay with his wife and he knew her. It's a deep and intimate and personal relationship to know someone. Go back to, you know, with Karen and I. If I just came home, we just went through the motions, never spent any time talking, that wouldn't be enough, would it? What if I just wrote down the things that she liked? All right, Karen, tell me what you like. Okay, occasionally I might do those things. All right, you like to eat at Outback? Maybe we'll go there every once in a while. And every now and then I might actually do what I wrote down. That, that's not the point, is it? To know him better is a relationship. It's a deep and a personal and intimate relationship. Like I have with my wife. To know, to spend time with. Remember, prayer is the language of God. I should be in this deep and this personal relationship to know him better. He continues on, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
the eyes of your heart. Oftentimes in Scripture, heart is going to speak to our very center, to our very core. So this is where we want to be. This, this, this idea of who God is and what He's done for us should permeate our very being, all about us, our very center at our heart. I pray also the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Know the hope to which He has called you. One of the first things Paul tells us, he tells us three different things here. The first one is the hope that we have been called to. This hope that he spent the first 14 verses talking about. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been forgiven. We have an inheritance. We are sons and daughters. And one day, not only are we forgiven, not only do we get a stand in a little corner in heaven, but we share in the inheritance that has been given. We get to partake in that. What an awesome thing. And Paul wants us to remind, remind us, remind the Ephesians, and he's praying for them that they would understand this hope. They would understand it. Second part is this. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That we'd understand his glorious inheritance, which is us. Right? We have been bought back. We have been redeemed. We are his inheritance. A different inheritance that he was talking about in the first 14 verses. And the last one, and I love this. And his incom- incomparably great power for us who believe. His incom- incomparably great power for us who believe. See, one of the greatest things about prayer is we have this relationship, and prayer being the language of God, we have a relationship with Him. And I think one of the greatest uh, aspects of prayer is not, not that we see God move and not that we see God you know, do this or do that or we twist His arm or anything, but that, that God uses prayer to change us. God uses prayer to do a work in our lives as individuals. I think back to my time as the youth pastor and this was a time in my life when I have probably prayed more that, that God's hand would be at work, that I prayed more that God would move. And you know what I saw? I saw his incomparably great power at work. And you know what it did in my life? It made me believe in the power of prayer. It, it deepened my relationship with him. It took my relationship with him to heights it had never been before. The power of prayer and understanding his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. See, one, one of the greatest aspects of prayer is that we understand this inc- incomparably great power, and we want to experience that. We want to experience that in our lives individually, and we want to experience that for Creekside, don't we? That God would move in ways he's not moved before. That God would do things that we've not seen him do before. And Nick alluded to it and talked about it last week. But we want to see a movement. We want to see God change lives. We want to have a heart, right, like Paul did, a heart for people not only within the church, but outside the church as well. That they would come into a right, redeeming relationship with God through his son Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you know where it happens? It happens when his people begin to pray. It happens when his people begin to realize the incomparably great power that comes through him, comes through Jesus, right? You remember Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll answer. 
That's where the power source comes from. Without a relationship with Jesus, we can never understand that power source. His incomparably great power for those who believe. And I think Paul, Paul just doesn't even know how to describe this power. He just, he just randomly, let's just start talking about this power. I've heard it interpreted. It's like his power upon power upon power upon power. Paul can't even begin to describe how much power that it is. But here he, he gives an attempt. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. It's like he repeats it again. That power is like his mighty power. That power is like his working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's some kind of power, right? The power that is at work in us is that same power that Jesus was raised from the dead with. Is that not some incomparably great power? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Here he's still describing this power. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is the kind of power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. That, that is some incomparably great power. And my encouragement, my challenge for us as we wrap up here is that we understand this great power that we have. We understand the source. The source is Jesus, right? The source of our power comes through that finished work on the cross. But that power, that incomparably great power, is at work in us as individuals, as a church. Here's how he wraps it up. And God placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. That's us which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus, the head of the church. Jesus, the, the source from which our power comes from. Jesus, the source from, from this power which we can experience in our own lives. Incomparably great power at work. Don't we want to experience that? Don't we as individuals and as a church want to experience this incomparably great power that is at work? Jesus, the head, our power source. So I would challenge and encourage you this morning, first and foremost, that if you don't know the source, if you don't know, we go back, and if you want to know the Father and have a right relationship with the Father, it comes through Jesus. That's where it begins. And so I would ask and I would challenge and encourage you this morning that if you don't know him, that's where it begins. That, that veil was torn, that he was on that old rugged cross, the work was finished. Jesus accomplished that. You need to know that. You need to understand that. If you don't, that's where it begins. For, uh, for those of us that, that know Jesus, that have a relationship with Jesus, that understand all that he's done for us, may we also understand this incomparably great power. May we be people who cry out and ask God that he would begin to show us that incomparably great power. May that be our source. May we have a heart like Paul and begin to ask God to move. Again, not just in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. Have a heart for other people. I think if we want to see great things at Creekside, this is where it's going to begin. 
that we are marked as people of prayer, that we, we are marked by people who cry out and ask God to do and use this incomparable great power. Man, I, wouldn't that be awesome that we look back and we understand that God is at work? I've heard it said that when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And us, as a church, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of you, you're great people, but we don't want to see our work, do we? Because there's nothing to it. But when we see the hand of God at work, it's going to be pretty cool. We're going to see some amazing things. So may we, as a church, may we as individuals and as a group here at Creekside, may we begin to pray that we would experience this incomparably great power. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you we can look at the, this, this prayer and these other prayers in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon. We can begin to get a heart of what you want and what you want our prayer lives to look for. That we'd have a heart for other people. That we'd have a heart to see you move. That we, as it says in, in Philemon, we'd be active in sharing our faith so we never know every good thing we have in Christ. God, our will, your plan for our life has been laid out for us. God, and oftentimes we look everywhere, we start asking questions when it's all right in front of us. God, that you want us to know you, to have that deep personal relationship with you. That you want us to understand these great blessings that you've poured on us, that we have already been blessed. That, that you want us to be open and, and love other people and, and share our faith, be active in sharing our faith so we can know you better. And God, you want us to know this incomparably great power. God, it happens when your people begin to pray. It happens when we, as a church, get our focus off ourselves and begin to pray for one another and begin to pray for lost, the lost souls out there, that they too would be redeemed, that they would understand what it is to be forgiven, redeemed by your blood. God, we... we want to pray this morning, and we want to ask you this morning. God, move in our lives individually and as a church here at Creekside. And we ask that we would see your mighty hand at work. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. God, his mighty hand at work. It's awesome to look through Scripture and see when people prayed, God worked. God did, God moved. You see, like Joshua praying and the sun stood still. You see Abraham pray and a whole city was saved. You see the people, the nation of Israel pray and a whole army is defeated because they prayed. You see the disciples pray and Peter was freed. You see the day of Pentecost, God's people prayed and 3,000, thousands of people came to know Jesus. You know, a group of high school students prayed, didn't know any better, and God did a movement. God saved lives. God wants to work, and God will work when his people begin to pray, begin to see that incomparably great power at work. I think there's a great almost picture of what God wants to do if you look in the Old Testament, and a couple times it talks about the hornet that went before. And in, in Joshua it says the hornet 
went before him. The hornet went ahead of him and did the work. Right? This is the picture of what God wants to do through prayer. He wants to go ahead. He wants to do the work. That's what happens when God's people begin to pray. So may we be, as a church here at Creekside, be a group of people that pray for, to experience this incomparably great power at work. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the veil was torn and, and now we can come to you. We can boldly approach the throne of grace and we want to do that. God, give us a heart for your people. Give us a heart for the lost. God, that they, they too may be redeemed. They too may be forgiven. They too may be able to come before you and boldly approach your throne. Now, thank you for Jesus. As Tim reminded us, God, may we go out of here. This may not just be some Sunday activity that we do, but God, this would be our whole life. We think about it. We dwell on it our whole life throughout the week. We, we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. <laughs>